Philippians, Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1 and verse 9 says, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. Here the Apostle Paul prays for the church here in Philippi. And he says, This I pray. Now, ancient letters between friends, family members, business associates would frequently include a brief statement that the person sending the letter prayed for the prosperity and health of the recipient. Um, whether that be Christian or um, pagans or um, unbelievers, like, would, uh, like unbelievers in the true God, but like they would pray to other gods, they would pray for their prosperity and help. Um, we see John likewise does pray a little bit of that in, in his epistles. He says, I pray that you be in good health and, in pro and prosper. And um, in a letter from the second century AD, um, a young soldier named Fionnus writes home to his mother, Tephius. And after the letter's introduction says, Before all else, I pray that you are well, I myself am well, and make obeisance on your behalf to the gods here. So praying to his idols, his gods, on their behalf. Unlike prayer after prayer, though, in ancient pagan correspondence, Paul prays not for the material prosperity of the Philippians, or even for their physical health, but that they may know God and live in ways that would please him. And to um, grow in their love, we see, and he starts out saying, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more. And he's praying for them. Now, love is one part of the fruit of the Spirit. And he says he wants their love to abound more and more. It's a church. Likewise, we as a church... You know, we're going to be known for um, standing for truth, standing boldly for what's right, for what the Word of God teaches, but may that not be at the expense of it being a lack of love. <laughs> we're supposed to preach all those things in love, as Paul um, teaches in Ephesians, that he's speaking the truth in love. It doesn't mean there's not times where you're passionate, or we see as Paul at times, he's weeping as he is preaching to them. But he tells them, he prays that they would abound in love. That means not to just have a little bit of love, but to abound more and more. Love for God and love uh, loving others is the heart of biblical Christianity. We see that the greatest commandment was to love God with your whole being. 
Um, your whole your whole body, your soul, spirit, your mind, that you're supposed to have a love for the Lord in all things. And the second commandment was likened to it, to love thy neighbor as thyself. As one cares and nurtures themselves, to love your neighbor is that. Christians ought to be known for their love. The God of Scripture not only loves, but is love himself. 1 John 4, 8 says, He that loveth not, knoweth not God. For God is love. Colossians 3, verse 12 says, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ, uh, or forgive one, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity. Above all these, put on charity. That's a love in action. That's a love that's going to be seen through the works, through its manifestation. Says, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be thankful. Now the Bible elevates love even above hope and even faith. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, And now abide of faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. And we see the charity that God had for us in sending His Son to die for our sins and to forgive us for our iniquities, um, that we did not deserve His love or His compassion, but He shows us His grace. A few verses earlier, verse 7, he declares that love actually includes hope and faith. It says, believe of all things and hopes all things. And surety, believe of all things and hopes all things. Apart from genuine godly love, every other virtue and activity, no matter how seemingly biblical and sincere, amounts to nothing. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians Chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, he's speaking hypothetically here. He's not saying that he literally speaks in every language of man or every language of angels. He's saying that even if, like, if I could, if he could do all of this, understand all the mysteries, he, he says, this doesn't mean anything. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, I'm basically to be a martyr, to be burned at the stake, and have not charity, 
it profiteth me nothing. Now you would think, you know, giving you the poor would be being showing love, and it can be, but many that are wealthy could just kind of give, maybe they're just giving for that tax write-off, or they're giving for, to be seen of men, but, but here Paul is saying, I could do all of these things, I could have been preached and be a martyr, but if I did that without charity, it's vain. It's empty. It means nothing. That God is not pleased with any of those things done in the flesh, but to be done in the Spirit. And part of the fruit of the Spirit is love. The Bible says that we will be known is disciples of Jesus by our love. John 13, verse 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you. And see, here's the new part, because it was already written that you would love one another. As John writes elsewhere in his epistles, he says, A new commandment, which is not another, but that there's a new emphasis on not just any regular love, but the love is Christ loved us. That you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. When the world sees the church having love towards one another, caring for one another, showing charity, uh, ministering to each other, serving each other in ways um, that it could be a blessing to others, the body edifying the body of Christ. Then when the world sees that, they'll know you're disciples of Christ. Well, how often even in, in, in workplace that you know sometimes people recognize someone is a Christian even before they said anything about a Christian just by their conduct, just by their compassion, just by their care for one another, sometimes even just by their character. Just that they're not even gonna try to steal from their employer. People are sometimes surprised. But this is how we would be known. Now the Bible talks about how the days would come when people, the churches would not endure sound doctrine, but that they would have itching ears, that a congregation would want the preacher just to speak messages that make them feel good. And then that's what the Bible says, no, you preach the word in season, out of season. That when it's popular, you preach it. When it's not popular, you still preach it. To, um, also, this last week, you know, the, the, or for, for, for years, we see that with the, um, the baker in Kara, that he stood for his right um, to not make a custom cake um, for a homosexual that wanted, um, um, wanted to promote the wedding. It wasn't that they denied service to people that were homosexuals. Some of his customers were homosexuals, and he served them gladly, having respect to him just like anybody else. However, it came when they wanted him to make a gay wedding cake customized for that. He said he could not, in good conscience, do that. 
and he uh, and then he got sued. He went to court. He won, and then he got sued. Went to court, and he won again. And um, and then they're still trying to take him to court again. But this time, there's someone else um, who was um, doing websites, and she started doing websites for weddings. And she was like, hey, I can't in good conscience support something that goes contrary to God's design of one man, one woman, husband, and wife. And the state was one to get her to go out of business. And this time she was a proactive one, and she sued the state. And then it went all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court agreed that you cannot compel someone to use their freedom of speech to only go with what you want. That she has the freedom to make it. It's not that she's saying you can't have this website or you can't do that. It's just for this specific thing of marriage, of a gay marriage, she said, I cannot in good conscience do that. And the Supreme Court respect that. Now, Harvard University is already um, trying, or no, that was the other case, never mind. That was the other thing. They're trying to already find a way you can still apply racial discrimination um, for um, entry into their university. But see, it's not popular to take a stand for marriage being between a man and a woman today. But as where the Bible says, we're to preach it in season, in season, and out of season. But while we do it, we need to also preach it in love. You know, there's people that are in bondage to this, that, that they're in bondage to their sin, and they're brainwashed by the schools to think this is normal or this is cool, when really it is going contrary to the order of God. And that's what we talked about a few weeks back, that Satan always tries to flip the order. As we saw before, before there was God, God created man, he created man to help me, and he created them to have dominion over the creatures. And what happened? It got flipped, where Satan, the creature, is influencing Eve, and then Eve is influencing her husband, and what for? To be his gods. Satan flips the strip. Today... We have the same kind of flip in the script where God created male, he created female, and then we have females that are saying they want to be male, and males saying they want to be female. They're trying falling into the trap of Satan of trying to flip how God designed. And there's a judgment coming upon that sin as with other sin, and that's why we need the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And it's not by our works, not of our own righteousness, but faith in Jesus Christ. And so we need to make sure we're delivering this message with love. Not the type of churches that are holding signs saying, God hates these people. That's not what Jesus said you're going to be known for, by your hate for people of a sin that you don't have. And that's part of the problem is sometimes with Christians is we hate the sin in others more than we hate the sin in our own life. And that's where we need to start. You know where Jesus said, judge not? He says, first get the beam out of your own eye, then you could help your brother get the moat or the speck out of his eye. 
And so we're to be known by our love for one another. As Jude also says, and some make a difference having compassion. And so what is this love to increase? It says, and this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge. That this love would stem through the knowledge that you gain, an increase in knowledge, and that this knowledge would be saturated with love. Ephesians 5.17 says, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. God desires us to know what his will is. He doesn't want to stay hidden or stay a mystery. He wants us to know it, but we're not going to find God's, not, his will that's maybe not written in here if we're not reading what is written in here. There's things that the Bible says that is the will of God. Um, abstaining from fornication, the Bible says, this is the will of God, that you abstain from fornication. That's the will of God. We see the will of God that daily we would meditate day and night upon the scripture. That we would pray without ceasing. That, that these are the will of God. If we're not following what God has clearly written to us, we're going to have trouble trying to find out what else does God want us to do with our life. What career does he want us to have? Does he want us to move? Does he want us to stay? Does he um, want us to get married? Does he want us to stay single? Or, or when? When is the right time? We're not going to know that stuff clearly if we're not following what God has clearly written. God does not want us to be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is for us. Any love that is not grounded in growing in knowledge of the Word of God falls short of genuine biblical love. Real knowledge is much more than mere factual information about God's Word. Real knowledge is more than an acknowledgement of God's Word as being true. Real knowledge produces holiness through a devoted life to obedience of the Word of God. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You know, a Christian that says, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I just don't believe that stuff in the Bible, or that's not for me, is showing there's no love for the Savior. That there's no love for God when we know what it says and we ignore it. Real knowledge produces holiness through the devoted life to obedience. First Peter 1.22 says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Unfeigned love of the brethren. That means to be without hypocrisy. That is genuine. That is real. That there's no ulterior motives. This I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge, and in all judgment. Unlike the way that worldly love is often characterized, biblical love is far from blind. Or it says love is blind. No, biblical love is not blind. 
On the contrary, it is wise, it is judicious. It seeks to understand the mind of Christ, as 1 Corinthians 2.16 says. And Philippians 2.5 says, Let this mind be in you, which also was also in Christ Jesus. You see, his love is humility. Biblical love has knowledge and makes wise assessments. It has discernment. And next week, there's going to be, we're going to be talking quite a bit about discernment of false teaching from what's right teaching, what's true, what is deception, and what is true religion. Biblical love is going to exercise discernment and be willing to share with someone the truth of God's Word. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, Prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. That our reputation, our testimony is important, that we even abstain from the appearance of evil. The manifested fruit of these attributes, we see that he is, he is this in verse 10 of Philippians 1 says that he may approve things that are excellent. This is why you have love abound more and more and you grow in your knowledge and in your discernment and your judgment that you may approve things that are excellent. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. They you know the world wants to keep on teaching us things, and as the Bible says, don't be conformed to the godless ideas of this world. The world wants to do everything out of order of what God has said, but he tells us to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That there's a rethinking of things, that we're rethinking our mind to be in accordance with the word of God, because his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He says, in the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? You know, when I was in high school and in, in, in church and youth group, a lot of times they, um, the youth, the teens, would ask questions like, well, you show me in the Bible where it says this or that is wrong. And it would maybe be something where um, people would maybe say it's a little bit of a gray area, or it may be where, you know, they might maybe be like, where does the Bible say getting high is wrong? Getting high on drugs. And then you're not going to find the Bible where it says don't get high on drugs. And so like, show me the Bible where it shows that. Now it's the principles in there, absolutely. But I say, here, the Bible doesn't say uh, that we're to focus on trying to prove that something is wrong, but rather proving what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So how can you prove that getting high on drugs is good for you? How can you say that's acceptable and that's the perfect will of God? The focus isn't on me trying to show you this is wrong and everything, but you show how is this right? 
It's getting high on drugs, being sober. The Bible tells us to be sober-minded, to be vigilant. Bible talks a lot about um, not um, being under the influence of witchcraft, and often drugs involves um, that, and it, uh, and then people start to see things, start to hear voices. It opens up the world to um, demonic things, and so we can show from biblical principle that it's wrong. But our attitude shouldn't so much be, you show me this is wrong, preacher. Oh, you show, okay, how is this right? How is this right in accordance to the Word of God, whatever it may be? Can you show this is good, this is susceptible, and this is part of the perfect will of God? Ephesians 5.10 says, Prove what is susceptible unto the Lord. And having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. There it is again. Proving what is right. He says, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful workness of darkness. Now we need a reproof. That we need to expose it, we need to give correction um, to it um, from the Word of God. And as this verse says, shame, even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Oh, no, that's denial. You know, how many leaders, how many politicians are involved, have been involved in that? They were fearful for their life of being exposed, that they were a part of this darkness. And as for the Bible says, it's a shame to even speak of the kinds of things they do. That is trash. We're to discern biblical doctrine from false teachings. Ephesians 4, 14 says that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head given Christ. As Christians, we're not to just sway back and forth. As the world gets more godless, the church isn't to be following the world and go, okay, now this is susceptible because now we're way over here. The world's over there. We shouldn't be following the world in this ungodliness. Now, when we stand strong and we live holy, we're going to look more weird. Okay? We're going to look more different. You know, they're going to start saying, for you just expressing your beliefs on what God says, they'll call it hate speech. They'll have people arrested. They'll take you to court. Bible says that they would bring you before the courts. And even the synagogues, the religious institution, that, that even in the religious world, that those that stand for what's right, they would be persecuted by the religious elite and to be mocked up. And as for the Bible says, take no thought what you're going to say, that the Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak in such a moment. But as Christians, we're to discern Biblical doctrine from false teachings and not just go with the wind. We're to be rooted as an anchor, rooted as a pillar. 
Paul says that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere. That you may be sincere. The English word sincere, um, some etymology word studies, it comes from two Latin words, um, sin, S-I-N-E, which means without, and sera, which means wax. Um, and so it would be sincera, or without wax. In the ancient world, dishonest, dishonest merchants would use wax to hide defects, such as cracks in their pottery. So they could sell their merchandise at full price or at a higher price. They would fill the cracks with a hard, dark wax, which would be concealed when the object was painted or glazed but would melt when the pottery was filled with something hot. In ordinary light, like a candlelight, or just kind of in the shade and just a little bit of light, it would be undetectable. You wouldn't notice a difference. But when you held it before the sunlight, it would be able to reveal those imperfections even though they've been covered up. Because the wax always made the things appear a little bit darker. Reputable dealers would often stamp their products sin serum, which meant without wax is a guarantee of high quality. Just as pottery was held up to the sunlight to reveal cracks or other defects, the obedient, faithful believer makes sure to expose his life to the sunlight of Scripture. They're like, Lord, reveal unto me any wicked way. Show me in your word how I have sinned against thee. As David says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And so, just as the, the, the seller that was selling honest stuff, they would have it say sincere, without wax, that they would be insincere. This is the real product. We ought to be real. Our faith ought to be grounded and not be on stony ground. Where do we want to be grounded in but not be on stony ground where a seed can't get root? Jesus said, and these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately they receive it with gladness. Those people, they hear God's word, um, and at first they're like, oh, this is so good, this is so helpful, and they receive it that way, but they have no root in themselves. They're not planted, they're not grounded in the soil. They're on stony ground. It says, and have no root in themselves. And so endured but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Now, when the government comes against them, or their friends mock them, or make fun of them, they're offended, and they, they get out. They're not grounded. They're not planted in the word. They're not really solidly planted in a church. Bible also says, as far as being sincere, that you may be sincere and without offense. To be blameless. 
Acts 24, 16, and herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. That Paul and I have a desire to follow after God, to have a pure conscience, to have a clean conscience, to be without offense. Till the day of Christ. Let's continue. And we're not to live holy simply when we're in church. The world needs to see us living holy outside of the walls of the church. We're to live holy, we're to live for Christ till Jesus comes back. 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 says, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another. Here that is again, telling some other churches, increase and abound in love toward one another and toward all men. Even as we do toward you, to the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That we're to live holy before the Lord. Now don't get this mistake in living holy. It's not what gets you to heaven. Trying to do what is right does not get you to heaven. Obeying commandments does not get you to heaven. You know, we see that as young rich ruler that he, um, Jesus says, obey all the commandments. And he says, all these I've done from my youth. And he says, one thing down his life. Jesus was shown using the law to show that he did not meet perfection. If righteousness could come by keeping the law, the Bible says, then we would be saved by the law. But the Bible has concluded all are sinners. All have sinned. None are without sin. Therefore, the law cannot save any of us. Doing good. Loving your neighbor is not going to get you to heaven. The only thing that will get you to heaven is a faith in Jesus Christ. In the right Jesus Christ. And Jesus that died for us. We put our faith that he died for our sins. That he became sin for us. But he did no sin. He never sinned once. But he took our sin on the cross with him died in our place, suffered the penalty of, um, of sin for our behalf, that we may have eternal life. That we don't have to go to a place called hell or the lake of fire, but that we put our faith in his death, burial, and resurrection, that we could have eternal life. That is not by works. Now, because I'm a Christian, after I'm saved, we should have a heart where we want to serve God. But we're not doing it so much out of fear, but we're doing it out of love. The Bible talks about how the love of Christ constrains of us. That the love of Christ to us and our love to Christ constrains us to live for Him. Not to earn salvation, but simply out of love to God. I'm just being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ. 
Proverbs 10, 16 says, The labor of the righteous tend to life, the fruit of the wicked to sin. Proverbs 11, 30, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Isaiah 3, 10 says, Say ye to the righteous, that it shall be well with him, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hand shall be given him. Now here the Bible is simply telling us we will reap what we sow. When we live right before the Lord, we're going to be blessed in many ways. Doesn't mean there won't ever be struggles, but there will be the peace of God within us that passes all understanding. And the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. And they that willfully continue to sin out of defiance of God, their life's going to be hard. They're going to face hardship after hardship. Now again, this does not mean if you are in a hardship, it is because of your sin. Sometimes, you know, the Bible talks about it's for the glory of God to be revealed. When they ask Jesus, who sinned that this man was born blind? Was it him or was it his parents? And in that case, it was neither. Now, the curse of sin, the effects of sin, um, that was shown, and that passes through from human nature. But there wasn't a particular sin why this man was born blind. But God used it to reveal his glory and to declare to show that he was the Son of God, and he healed him of his blindness. That was the one reason he was born blind. For that moment that Christ would be glorified. Before then. James 3.17 says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that made peace. Wisdom that's above is going to be a pure, it's going to be peaceable. It's going to be gentle. It's going to be easy to be entreated. That's how our behavior should be, too, that we ought to be approachable. You know, I know there are some pastors where the entire congregation is fearful to really even talk to the pastor, that there's so much of a mystique about the pastor, there's not really a relationship. There's no hospitality. It's not how it's supposed to be. That's so why the Bible tells pastors to be given to hospitality. Now, sometimes we put things in our own head, in our own mind. Because I've had people that feel intimidated of me simply because I'm a pastor. And was it because of how I was conducting myself? It was just in their own mind. And that happens sometimes. You know, we need to lay those kinds of things down. You know, don't let our mind play games with us. Easy to be entreated, full of mercy. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. We got speed limit signs that say don't go over this speed. But love, joy, meekness, peace, there's no law saying you have too much.
which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. It's Paul's prayer for the church at Philippi that their love would abound more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. That they may be able to prove things that are excellent. That they could be sincere and without offense till the day of Jesus Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God is for his glory. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. That whatever we do, we're to do it to please God. To give Him glory. Giving little things is eating and drinking. Do to the glory of God. Out of appreciation of the things Close with this passage, Colossians 1. We see Paul simply pretty much writes pretty close to the same thing that he wrote in Philippi. It says, As ye also learn of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And may that be our prayer for us as a church as well, that we would abound in love. Let our community see the love of Christ in us. We minister to people. You know, the Bible talks about even giving us bottles of water or a glass of water in the name of a disciple. That they shall receive their reward. Let's go ahead and have a time of invitation, time of prayer as the music plays. Let's go ahead and stand um, for an altar call, um, stand for an invitation. Um, however, God's worked on you, you may come to the altar and pray the Lord and just ask, Lord, help me to show the love of Christ. Help me to abound in my knowledge and, and, and knowledge that shows his love. Because knowledge by itself puffs up. It just brings pride. But when there is knowledge that's growing out of charity, it edifies us. Okay, just bow, eyes closed, and ask a personal question. Do you know that Jesus Christ is your Savior? Do you know? Put it signified by raising your hand. If you know without a doubt that Jesus is your Savior, raise your hand. Get hands down. Mass yet or right. If you do not know that Jesus is your Savior, you don't know if you were to die today and um, whether you would go to heaven or if you would go to hell. If you don't know, but you would like to know from the Word of God how you can know for sure heaven would be your home. And you would like someone to share with you from the Bible. Now, go ahead and raise your hand. If you 
don't know Jesus is your Savior, or you want to know, raise your hand. Don't see any hands raised. Doesn't mean there's not someone that's having doubts. If you don't know, I encourage you, you know, talk with me after church or talk with someone else maybe here that you know or um, and show you from the Word of God how you can know you have eternal life. Dear Heavenly Father, we just pray, Lord, that you would help us as a church to abound more and more in love. To be balanced, you know, there could be people that, you know, they come to this message and they'll be like, right on, preach on love. And then next week, preaching on the doctrines of devils and seducing spirits. But we're not trying to teach on that out of arrogance or hate, but out of love. It's the love of Christ that does not want people to be deceived, given by religion. May we have the balance in where maybe sometimes people will be like, man, that was a strong, tough message. But you know what? They're doing that. They're preaching that. They say first they love the Lord and they love the people. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember, if you're able to maybe bring some, um, some bags of candy for us to throw out um, for the parade, um, that will be the following Saturday. Um, so create this Sunday and let us know if you're able to help. I know um, Crystal, Pamela, and Candace, they were going to kind of help 